Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Swans Vlog Swanscast. In this episode, I am joined by Rowan Connolly from Footyology and Stephen Trelaw from Over the Line Sports. Rowan, how are you? Yeah, very well, thanks. And Stephen, how are you? Yeah, not bad, Justin. Thanks for joining us again, Rowan. Yeah, no, pleasure. So, Rowan, could you kick us off with a bit about Footyology and how that's coming along? Um, oh, really well. Uh, it's been, I think this is about week number seven. Um, so, you know, look, I've had to I've had to learn on the fly a bit um, in terms of just managing a website and, uh, you know, I've been pretty busy trying to keep up a steady flow of content for it, um, which is, you know, look, mainly written stuff, but, I, you know, I've been doing a podcast with Mark Fine from SEN um, and some... Facebook Live stuff, uh, which I do for the Sporting News website, but I'm also publishing on mine. Um, things like advertising, you know, I've, got, I've had people, uh, yep. plenty of people sort of approach me about advertising and I'm still sort of in the business of uh, trying <laughs> to come up with some rates and stuff. So, um, yeah, look, there's there's been a lot to learn, but it's uh, it's been really good fun, and uh, from what I can gather, the the numbers are, are pretty good. So um, the reception's been good too. I've been pretty uh, you know sort of gratified at the reception I've got from people. So um, yeah, it's all gone really well. The good. match reports have always the match reports have always been uh, very good to read, and I do remember that last time we had you on, you were just finishing up at the age at the time, so. A lot has happened in the last, I think it's about 10 weeks, Yeah, nine, 10 weeks. Oh, yeah, look, I, yeah, probably nine weeks. I, I gave myself a couple of weeks break and then sort of got back into it. But uh, that's always what I plan to do, you know. I just, I like immersing myself in the footy and I like writing about it and I like talking about it. So I wasn't going to waste any time with it. And, um, yeah, as it's transpired, it's it's worked out really well and, Fortunately, after having been at the age for thirty years, um, it was a uh, you know it was a pretty handy payout. Uh, <laughs> not to put too <laughs> fine a point on it, so um, that yeah. that really set me up. And um, you know, look, I've I've taken on work uh, for like I said, Sporting News website. I'm doing stuff for the. Um, West Australian newspaper. Um, that's in addition to the stuff I was already doing for SEN and um, the Mungrook Footy Show. So I'm, you know, look. In some ways, I'm sort of busier than I was. But uh, yeah, I'm just really enjoying sort of, you know, doing exactly what I what I want to do. No questions asked. And um, uh, yeah, it's great. I wish I'd done it years ago. Well, we do have a question from one of our listeners, and this is from Sataris from Bigfooty. And he asks, given the prevalence of the web taking over from traditional newspapers and print, has it affected your writing style, you know, on the new Footyology website? Um, no, no, look, it hasn't. Um, it's a good question, though, because I think there's a push in mainstream newspapers for shorter stuff. Um, you know, there seems to be this view that, uh, people don't like long reads online 
And uh, that's very heavily dictated by, you know, the analytics they get in terms of how far down a page people will read. And, um, you know, and I'm not sort of making light of those those studies, but uh, I think it really depends on what sort of website you've got. And a major newspaper is sort of trying to cater to all sorts of people. So, you know, I think they've got to keep things fairly general and often fairly... Um, Oh, how would I put it, superficial, whereas, you know, I, I sort of stated from the outset with footyology, I wanted it to be a, a, a bit of a place for footy heads where, um, you know, they could read sort of decent analysis about the game and, um, at, and at, at some length. And uh, so I, I, you know, I've, I've pretty much just sort of written what I was writing for the age. I mean, I... You know, put it this way, I think I had enough seniority at the age not to have people say to me, oh, you know, your stuff's too long or, I mean, I pretty much sort of did what I wanted <laughs> to do anyway. So I've just yeah. I've just transferred that to my own site and um, I, I just write what, what I think something's worth, you know, and uh, most, my, most pieces I write sort of end up around the sort of, you know, 800 to 1,000 word mark, you know, something... But if something goes longer, you know, I feel like I need more more words to um, to explain something properly. I certainly won't put an arbitrary uh, word limit on myself. So, um, yeah, and that's one of the good things about being your own boss, I guess. Like, uh, no one's going to tell me to do otherwise. So, in essence, I no, I don't. I don't feel like it's sort of inhibited the way I write at all. But I, I do think for people. You know, in those mainstream outlets, um, I think things have changed. Not so much with the length, probably more about the sorts of things that are written. Um, I, you know, with online, there's a real push for stuff that can be supported visually with, um, you know, graphics and, um, you know, little sort of, you know, uh, multimedia yeah, tricks and, yeah. and, and things. Um, and look, that can be good, um, but I think. Yeah, unfortunately, sometimes uh, written stuff sort of tailored around that rather than just, you know, the value of the actual piece itself. Um, and I think, you know, can occasionally tend to trivialise stuff, you know. You, people are made to sort of write things based more on visual elements than the actual worth of the piece. Um, and again, you know, I'm fortunate to be able to not have to do that. You know, basically I'm writing exactly what I want to write. So, um, yeah, it's been good. It's been good. Yeah, just um, just kind of elaborating on that, um, it must be kind of – I know you said that you certainly didn't feel inhibited by kind of branching out on your own. If anything, you must feel um, a bit liberated to kind of do what you want without having to worry about, uh, you know, editors and people above you saying what you have to write. Um, I mean, just looking at – I'm just having a few uh, Fox, Fox Sports – uh, websites open and they're kind of as you say around that um half the page is taken up with a massive video um which auto plays of course with ads and the articles themselves probably only about you know 200 words if that so yeah it's great that um i want to give my own kind of personal appreciation that you know guys like you can you know let rip and do what you do best so thank you no, no, well, yeah, no, thanks. <laughs> I, I mean, look, it's I, I find as a reader online that, you know, if there's – you sort of read two paragraphs and then there's a and then there's a, pic, a photo and then you read another two paragraphs and then it's broken up with another photo, I, I find that really yeah. 
disrupts my my reading flow. Um, don't get me wrong, though. It's probably even worse on mobile phone when some of those ads, they're like full screen and you have to keep scrolling until you get past the ad to read the content again. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, look, don't get me wrong on this. If I have a major corporation come to me and say, you know, we want to stick 10 ads in one piece, but we'll pay you heaps of money for it. I'm not going to say, no, I've got to preserve the, um, <laughs> you know, the, the integrity of the, the look of the page or whatever. I yeah, mean, you I'm, can only go so it, far. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, look, I uh, – and I'm not underestimating the importance of those elements either. I mean, I've, uh, I source the pictures I'm using on my stuff from Getty Images, who are the, you know, the major sort of photographic um, outlet in the country, and uh, they've been really good to me, actually, in, in the deal I've done with them. So, um, you know, big thanks to them if anyone from Getty's listening. But uh, – yeah, look, I, I find if I, you know, if I'm reading a piece, uh, I've got one photo and maybe a video or something. I find I don't need a lot more, you know. I mean, I, I don't know if people they think people have shorter attention spans these days or something, but uh, you know, if I'm reading something, I want to keep reading it. I don't want to have to stop and scroll down and then read another two paragraphs and stop and scroll down. So. Um, you know, look, I'm sure there are graphic design people who will say, I don't know what I'm talking about, but that's what I like to do. So uh, that's what I do. Oh, it's, it's all very reasonable. And I think having a lot of readable content and easily engageable content is the most important thing to making something work. And look, uh, speaking of engaging, why don't we uh, talk about each other's teams? So Rowan, you're from the Essendon side of things. So... Mm-hmm. Why don't you give us uh, a couple of good things, a couple of bad things, uh, and an overall rating of how you saw the Essendon season as a whole? Um, Look, I I tend to be a bit of a glass half empty person, um, often sometimes to people's annoyance. But look, I think overall they'd have to be really pleased with the year. I mean, they've made finals. And and look, I I didn't think they would. Um, I thought that there were probably too many ifs and buts about, you know, like 10 players coming back from a year out of the game. Um, They had to, A, be sort of introduced back into the mix, but B, you know, learn how to gel with the players that were there in their absence. Um, And I I think given those sort of logistical hurdles, I think it's come together pretty well. Um, now, that's notwithstanding, you know, a few hiccups along the way. I, I think, um, look, I, you know, I, I think they're I think they're a good side. I don't think they're a great side. I think um, they've had some really good results, you know. I think uh, probably, the for me, the best level of football they played was uh, when they knocked over St Kilda in round 17. Um, that was at a time when St Kilda were going quite well, and I thought Essendon you know, smashed them that night. And when they got on the ro- got on a roll and, um, you know, got their running game going, they were very good offensively. I mean, one of the high-scoring sides in the competition. Um, the midfield, for me, is still a bit of an issue. I, I think it's, uh, it's a little bit slow, probably not deep enough, um, and could get sort of found out defensively on occasions that they haven't ranked high for contestable or clearances all year and that's a bit of a worry I think going into a, a finals campaign um, up forward I think it's been it's, it's worked pretty well probably until recently actually I mean losing 
Horacio Fantasia, I think, has been a big blow. Um, to a lesser extent, Josh Green. So when you had Green... And, you, you're going. and you're still missing Hooker as well. Yeah, and, and Hurley. So, um, you know, in terms of, of this week, Hooker, Hurley and Fantasia, I think they've got to be in the mix for them to be a chance. But, you know, when those guys were all up and running, I think the forward line looked pretty dangerous. You know, Danaher's had a great year, I thought. James Stewart's really shown some good signs the longer the season's gone, and I think he's uh, he's a good long-term prospect. Um, probably, my, probably my biggest reservation is I, I would have liked to have seen him get a bit more game time and development into some of the younger players, so the likes of Kyle Langford, um, Aaron Francis, uh, Jaden Laverde, although he's had more time in the second half of the season couple of other young draftees who haven't actually even played at senior level yet. Um, and I, you look in at guys a way... Like, oh, sorry, I was just going to say, um, you look at guys like Begley, who had such a good impact, especially in that first half um, on his debut, and you kind of wonder how, how many other young gems you've got. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, look, I think people make a lot about... Uh, uh, make a lot of... VFL form, you know, but I, sometimes I wonder how much of a guide VFL form actually is. I mean, it's just a completely different level. Um, and in the case of Aaron Francis, you know, people have spoken with him about his fitness levels not being up to par, but I don't see why <clears throat> you couldn't sort of build them up playing at AFL level and still getting the benefit of his his little cameos of, of brilliance, which he's capable of. But, you know, to an extent, that's nitpicking because, you know, I think they really wanted to make finals just as a a bit of a, almost a thank you to the fans for having stuck with them through the last, you know, hellish four or five years. And, and, yeah. and they've done that. So I think they deserve credit for that. So look, overall, you know, if I was rating their season out of 10, um, you'd probably have to say a seven and a half. Um, where does it go from here? I mean, I... I think uh, I think it's a particularly important sort of trade and draft period coming up for them. I, I think they, you know, well, I hope they're sort of going to go hard at a, a real A-grade midfielder, i.e. A, a Josh Kelly type. I mean, that's along with the rest of the competition virtually, it seems. But uh, also perhaps drafting some, some good young midfield prospects, but guys with pace as well because the... The blokes in the side with the pace tend to all play near goal. Um, so wouldn't mind seeing them spend a bit more time midfield as well. But, you know, Joe Watson's retiring. Uh, Brent Stanton's retiring. James Kelly's retiring. There'll be a couple of others who, you know, sort of say farewell after next week or whenever the end actually is. So um, there's going to be a, a fair bit more generational change yet and hopefully the curve can continue upwards. But... Yeah, like I said, I think overall, given where they were coming from and, and the sort of unique difficulties they faced, I reckon uh, it's been a it's been a pretty reasonable year. Oh, for sure. And Stephen, uh, could you give us your Sydney Swans review for the season as well? Yeah, um, touched over this a bit uh, last week, but it, as I said last week, it was kind of a story of two two halves really. After there was that. Uh, gap between round one and round six and everything after that with a few uh, brown and gold exceptions. It was just absolute roller coaster of a season where <laughs> yes. at one point I was thinking, oh, that number one draft pick's looking good. Um, and now we yep. are, you know, one of the favourites to actually win the thing, and which is something that just hasn't happened 
in the history of the in the history of the game before. Uh, not since the top eight system was introduced that uh, anyone's or ever that anyone's gone uh, from zero to six to even make the final. So whatever happens, even if Essendon somehow uh, get a bit of an upset, I've, I think I'll be happy with how this season's gone. Absolutely. And could you give us a couple of you know good points or highlights and maybe a couple of lowlights? Uh, you know, apart from the zero six, everyone knows yeah, the zero course, six, of course. and uh, and out of ten, a rating. Um, yeah. Obviously, it can't be ten because we lost the first no, six games. But um, yeah, so one of the low points for me um, was the feeling I had when I heard that Dane Rampey had broken his arm. Um, just the worst bit of luck. We started off in poor form, and then you get that news. Um, Dane Rampey, all Australian player. Probably might have been a bit unlucky not to even get called to the uh, All-Australian squad of 40 this year, but uh, it's just such a general for us back there. And uh, when he came back in, I think he was uh, part of the shift that saw us improve again. Um, Good points. Uh, Just have a look at the fixture so far. Uh, Part of me wants to say round 14, that comeback against Essendon, but won't go too much into that view, Ryan. Um, (laughs) Ah, that's yeah, yeah. Uh, I think uh, really the end of the season where we had games against uh, Geelong at Cadenia, which we won con- convincingly, then a demolition of Frio. Then uh, we came out and beat the flag favourites in Adelaide at Adelaide. So really kind of uh, set our credentials for the back end of the season. And <clears throat> look, sky's the limit, really. Uh, in terms of a great sure. grade I'd give the, for the season... Uh, I'd probably give it an eight and a half. Um, it's un- unlike uh, Rowan, I'm a bit of a glass half full guy. I've just, I've, I've really loved the second half of the season. <laughs> um, I think I'll focus on that more than the first half. Yeah, well, I think, I think, um, I th- I think yeah, as far as the Swans go, I think for me, um, probably the best performances were those two games. You mentioned the Geelong win uh, down at Geelong. I was there that night and they were, they were yep. awesome. Um, and, and the Adelaide one, which for me, um, I had to rank the my top five games of the year um, last week on Mungrook. And, uh, yeah, that Adelaide game I had as number one game of the season just yeah. in terms of the quality and the, um, you know, fantastic finish and it just seesawed this way and that. But... To me, the longer the season's gone, the better they've looked. And, um, you know, all the key players are firing. And, you know, Buddy Franklin's, um, I've said a few times lately, I think maybe the one hole in Buddy's CV is a, a massive grand final performance. And, um, you know, maybe this might be the year he delivers it. So, um, you know, if you're asking me to rank sort of teams in order of flag favouritism now, um, I'd have the Swans, if not ahead certainly on level footing with Adelaide yeah for sure and I think a lot of bookies reflect that as well we're coming into the last several rounds of the season it was Sydney and Adelaide trading top spot for favoritism and it all depended on whether or not uh, Sydney could make the top four and I do remember before the Hawthorne match when there was still a chance Sydney could make the top four and get in with a game clear that they were at one point actually favourites for the uh, flags. So, look, I, I have a couple of uh, highlights. Um, 
mine is I think Franklin's eight goal effort against Brisbane to get the Swans on the winning terms was superb. That I think that set the trend for the season. And my next one is the victory against the Dogs set up the complete back half of the season. Lost just one game, which for Swans is almost unheard of to go 11-1 for pretty much the last 12 rounds. I thought that was absolutely special. Um, Overall, I would probably give it an 8 out of 10. We could have and should have done a lot better in the first half of the season. Uh, Going into the the buy round 3-7 isn't ideal, but winning 14 from 16, uh, 11 from 12 after the buy, I think is a real credit to the team. So now that we've done our review, let's kick off into a bit of news discussion. So recently, we have had Gary Ablett and the whole will he, won't he circus about Geelong and the Gold Coast kick up again. There's He had his best and fairest, his fourth best and fairest with the Suns, which is fantastic for him. And again, the talk has been about trade or retirement. Uh, we recently had Scott from from Geelong come out and say, look, the trade is basically not going to happen. It's impossible to make the trade depending on what, you know, the Suns, what they're going to ask for. So Rowan, I'd like to get your thoughts on the Gary Abbott situation and what do you make of it? Um, oh, well, look, I mean, to reduce it to 10 tax, I mean, it's pretty obvious he doesn't want to be there anymore. Um, I guess if Chris Scott says, you know, we can't make it work. You've got to take him at his word. But I, I'd suspect there's still plenty to play out there. I mean, if you've got a guy that palpably doesn't want to be part of a club's plans, what's the point in sort of digging your heels in and making him stay if you can at least get something decent for him? Because the alternative is, um, and I wouldn't discount this, that if, you know, he he is quite firm about wanting to go and they don't, um, you know, do something that sees him be able to get to Geelong that he'll just pull up stumps and walk away from the game. You know, uh, it's not like it's not like he needs some money. Do you think he'll do like a Barry Hall? Do you think it's another Barry Hall situation where he'll retire and then a couple of months later he finds himself with another, at another club? Uh, I don't think he's the sort of bloke who... I, I think he'd be conscious of um, uh, not you know, sort of pulling a Swifty. So, you know, I don't I don't think he'd want to sort of engineer something where he retires and then because he retires, he's, uh, you know, he's able to be picked up again and it sort of duds Gold Coast out of anything in return um, because I think, you know, his, his reputation's pretty import, important to him, as it should be. Um, so, I, I don't know, I... I Look, I, I guess, you know, he could reconsider and sort of think, well, you know, I, I've made my bed, I've got to line it, I'll see out my days here. But I, I wouldn't discount the possibility that if there, something can't be done, he doesn't just say, OK, well, that's it for me. Um, and you were getting the impression sort of the longer the season went that the less uh, the less sort of <clears throat> wedded to the idea of Gold Coast he yeah. was, you know. And I think his priorities in in life have shifted a bit, you know, he's, he set himself up for life financially and, um, you oh, know, certainly. and he has other, other interests and, um, you know, he probably doesn't need the game as much as he once did. Uh, I mean, that would be a shame if yep. it ended like that, but I think Ge- <clears throat> Geelong have got to be careful too, that they don't, um, you know, they don't sort of go overboard in, in what they do to get him because, uh, you know, they've spent the last, 
well, when do you go now? 2011. You know, they've spent the last six, seven years sort of organising. Seven seasons, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're organising their, their life without him. And, uh, you know, you don't want to sort of sell the farm just to get back a guy who's going to be, what, 34 or thereabouts. Yeah, he's 34 year. already. Yeah, yeah. So we're talking one year, one year at most. I mean, two if his body holds up. And I do just want to ask real quick, do you think he has suffered reputation damage throughout the whole saga over the last two seasons, especially the kind of way that the team and himself have gone about his selection for matches where it's almost on a weekly basis? It's just, will he, won't he? And even in the last round, he was selected and then he pulled out straight after he was selected. Yeah, oh, look, maybe to an extent, but I think if you if you weigh that up against the the entirety of his career, it's pretty minimal, really. I mean, you know, that'll be forgotten soon enough. I reckon, you know, 10 years down the track, we're not going to be sort of focusing on how it ended. If that's indeed how it ends, it'll be more about one of the the great careers in AFL footy. So, um, yeah, I've got a bit of time for him. I mean, sure, he's, he's got his quirks like a lot of people have, and he's pretty... You know, I guess in some ways he can be a bit selfish around his preparation, but I, you know, I don't think there's a there, there's no malice about him. There's not a there's not a maliciousness about him, um, and and he is one of the you know the best players any of us have been fortunate enough to see. So, if there is damage to the reputation, I think it'll it'll recede into the background fairly quickly. Um, just on that. Uh thing about Ablett's selection, especially over the past few weeks. Uh, he's come out recently uh, and said that he's been battling hamstring tendonitis for the past few months. Um, and he kind of made a point saying, oh, to whoever he was uh, interviewing with at the time, saying, oh, bet you didn't know about that sort of thing. Um, I am just kind of wonder if there has been an injury problem, what's the reason for keeping it so quiet and letting the media kind of go on about this with all the speculation? Oh, well, I think I think he's sort of past caring in, in that sense. Um, and, look, he has been. He's, he's been, over the years, notoriously um, particular about his the management of his body. You know, he's, you know it's been well documented. He's very reluctant to, um, you know, even use painkillers and, and that sort of stuff. So, um, you know, he probably sets a, a higher threshold for, you know, what constitutes going into a game fit enough than other players would. Um, you know, and I don't think he's the sort of bloke who feels like he needs to keep the entire football world or the media, for that matter, sort of abreast of everything that's going on with him and, you get to a point where you think, and I, I sort of fair, I think fair enough in his case, you know, like I've proved what I've got to prove, you know, I, I don't sort of owe anyone any explanation and I understand that, that view. So, yeah, look, I, I, you know, it hasn't been great the last couple of months, but I, I don't think necessarily think any less of him for it. Um, my, like I said, my sort of overall view is still, um, you know, how lucky I've been to watch one of the greats in action and and, and maintain such a high standard for for so long now. And, and look, knowing, um, having known Gary's dad, um, you know, probably as well as anyone in the media has got to know his dad, which isn't necessarily, yes. you know, isn't necessarily... Um, 
uh, to any great level, but you know he's had some pretty unique he's had some pretty unique circumstances to to follow in the footsteps of. So you know I think you take all those things into account. I reckon it's been it's been one of the great careers, mm, no doubt. Oh, for sure. And I think as a player, he's been one of the best and you know one of the most respectful players that have been around you know, for years. Um, as a person, you could never fault him off the ground. Well, you know, away from football anyway. He's always led, you know, through example, and he's always set a very good example. But uh, look, speaking of examples, uh, I want to ask you a little bit about what's happening at Collingwood at the moment. Now, Nathan Buckley, there was a lot of criticism of him throughout the season, and I thought over the last couple of years, and especially this season, a lot of it wasn't necessarily warranted. Uh, the players weren't really performing, and granted, he wasn't getting the best out of the players. But he did enough, the players did enough, he has re-signed for two years, and the review from the club has been, it's not all his fault, we are to blame as well, which I think is you know, very fair, because he's had, I think, what, four or five different football managers since he's been a coach, which is just absolutely insane. There's basically a new one every nine months, so there is that issue. Then there's also the more recent issue where you've got Chris Main, and he's basically been thrown under a bus by the club. And now there's even talk that the club might be looking to try and pay him out. What do you make of that situation there, Rowan, especially the Chris Main situation? Um, well, look, I, the two things are sort of interlinked to a degree. I mean, I'll start with Chris Main. I, I thought um, it was a pretty questionable pickup at the time. Um, I think the the understanding is it was very much driven by Graham Allen when he was in that role of uh, football manager there that he ended up not um, not filling for all that long because of his suspension over the... Um, Lockie Whitfield stuff when he was at GWS. Um, but even on that, he was hired with the knowledge that he may get suspended or even that he was going to get suspended. Yeah, well, that's a, again, that's a, a slight on Collingwood's administration, isn't it? Or their propensity to sort of, for um, Eddie Maguire to both sort of unilaterally make decisions without enough consultation or a board that probably prepare, isn't prepared to question him enough so for me that was tied up with that um but it's certainly been a spectacular disaster as far as trade pickups go given how much they were paying him um you could argue the same thing about daniel wells so the list management can't operate independently of the coach and i certainly got the impression that bucks wasn't that wrapped about picking up chris main but i think it's a bit sort of disingenuous for, and I'm not saying he's suggesting this but other people have on his behalf that you know he was powerless to do anything about that because uh, you, you know you, you couldn't have a senior coach day for a level that didn't have some sort of say over who the players on his list are so yeah I've look my opinion on the Buckley things sort of changed a bit I mean I you know I, I until this year probably felt very much that you know, he probably hadn't been given enough time yet that they'd been cursed by injuries, which I think they were to a point. But I reckon I look at this year personally and I think they had, yeah, look, they had injuries again, but I think they had fewer injuries than they'd had the previous couple of years. Yeah. Um, I think that there's a huge group of 
sort of mid-tier players there who they still haven't really determined for themselves whether they're parts of their best 22 or not. So in a way, the development of that best side is no closer to being finalised now than it was three seasons ago. And that, to me, is a coaching issue. And I also look at the way they play their footy. Um, I mean, yeah. they've got on paper a really, really good group of midfielders, and they certainly had no Definitely. problem winning the ball this year. Uh, they were very high for contestable and stoppages and all those sort of um, midfield indicators, and yet they had a, a really shoddy forward setup, which again gets back to personnel. I mean, how they thought Darcy Moore was going to carry a whole forward line. Yeah. with only help from Jesse White and Mason Cox is beyond me. Um, and, and Elliot as well for, uh, for Solo. Yeah, well, they're, they're small. And they've forwards, spent a lot of time out injured. Moore had no key forward support, so that's at the heart of it. And the way they played their footy was far too often. They played a very sort of stop-start possession-based game, very slow delivery into the forward line. Yep. Their conversion was terrible. Um, when they put the foot down, it was sort of like every time they got to a point where they said, oh, well, things can't be any worse, let's just go for it. And I felt like they did that in their last <laughs> game against <laughs> yeah. Melbourne. They actually played <clears throat> you know, quite an attrac- uh, attractive, um, positive brand of footy that, that had the opposition in trouble. So I look at that and I say, well, that is a coaching issue. Um, so those things for me add up. And not to mention the... The fact that a year ago, the coach himself basically said, well, if we don't make finals next year, there's no way I'll be coaching them. And it seems to me like the whole club has sort of uh, sort of made excuses for itself to reappoint him. Yes. Um, so, so look, in a nutshell, I reckon that if they could have got Alistair Clarkson or if they could have got Paul Roos interested again, they would have jumped at it and oh, Bucks would have been gone. I, I think they couldn't get those two. And I think... Uh, Collingwood being Collingwood and Eddie being Eddie, um, you know, for, I mean, they don't underestimate the the impact of Eddie Maguire on this because them getting rid of Bucks is basically him admitting it hasn't worked and that seven yes, years yes. are down the drain. So um, I think well, once once it became clear they couldn't get those big fish. They tried to rationalise it and they did a review process, which surprise, surprise came to the conclusion yeah. that there are a lot of things pretty stuffed up in that footy club. And on that basis... And it's not all to do with Buckley either. Yeah, and, and on that basis, we go back to Buckley again. But, uh, you know, ask yourself this. If it was any other person at any other club, would they have survived a performance chart no. which reads fourth to eighth to, uh, what was it, 11th to 12th to 12th to 13th? You're kidding. Um, so, you know, no, I don't he, think anyone else could possibly have survived, and I think that's why he has survived. It's pretty much Brad Scott and Ross Lyon are the only two other coaches in a, I guess, a similar position, but they have the runs on the board. Um, Brad Scott's led his team to consecutive preliminary finals. Ross Lyon's gone to what, one, two, three, four grand finals. And more recently, I think it was 2013 with Fremantle. And, you know, they were very competitive for a very long time. So, look, I'd like to get your thoughts on this, Steve, about uh, Buckley and also the Chris Main situation. Yeah, I'll try and uh, keep it short. I'm I'm a bit less kind towards Nathan Buckley, I think. Um, he's, he, he had a pretty good... supporters are. Yeah, well, <laughs> he had a 
good Collingwood had a good last six weeks of the season, I reckon. Um, especially that match against Melbourne, they finally played Kyle Kirby, who uh, was leading the VFL goal kicking at the time, and well, you know, he looks pretty lively up forward. But that that last six weeks was good. But he's been in the job for six years, and I just when he says yeah. something like, "Oh, if I don't make if we don't make finals, I don't expect I'll be in the job." To then go and give him a two-year contract extension has to mean that, A, there's no one else available, which I think is quite a likely option, or B, that you don't, you don't like, Eddie Maguire doesn't want to admit that he's wrong. And I don't think him not admitting he's wrong makes much of a difference because everyone can see what what's happened with Collingwood. And when Nathan Buckley's just signed a two-year contract extension and then goes and basically undermines Chris Mayne uh, a guy with three years yeah. inside his contract. It's a pretty baffling move from from my uh, perspective. Um, well, not only that, right? It's two million over four years, so he's basically on five hundred grand a season on average. And you would imagine that that would be a front loader contract, so they still need to pay out one point five million, and it still needs to be on the salary cap. Yeah, it just seemed like that he was Bucks was kind of trying to distance himself for a bad call. Um, it was on a SEN breakfast uh, interview where he said um, he kind of hinted that the conf- like there was confusion during about the director of football at the time. So here's his quote. Uh, there were a few things mixed up with that. Our director of football was flipping around and there were a few things that happened that weren't ideal. Um, so that's just, I think it's just making excuses for absolutely poor structure at Collingwood in terms of administration. And Sad to say, I think that what's happened since then, I mean, it's good that they're trying to fix things up, but it doesn't seem to be going as well as could be expected. Oh, look, completely agree. And just on that, this came out from Chris's father and also it was corroborated by his manager that they wrote that Buckley was integral to his son's recruitment and he, you know, should not be the one washing his hands. And the quote is, only getting one side of the story and skewed at that. Not about the selection, more about the integrity than many on here. Collingwood, bottom two or three for forward pressure. Who did you recruit to play that role? Give him three games, not throw him under the bus. And that was from his manager and also from his father as well. And yeah, exactly. And the other one is Gubby Allen made it very clear before the meeting that if Nathan Buckley wants him, he's in. And this is on the radio on Sunday as well in Melbourne that a lot of the action actually was derived by Nathan Buckley in let's get him in, let's get him in. And as he said earlier, Rowan, they've got uh, Chris Main, uh, they've got Daniel Wells, um, they got in another player and they've paid them all a lot of money as well. So their list is a bit like, well, what are they going to do now? They're getting old. They're not going to be around for much longer. Well, they've spent probably a good four or five years now, I think, really topping up with players from other clubs, even going back to you know yep. Quinton Winch, and they got very little from him. They got very little from Clinton Young, from Hawthorne. Yep. Um, you know, they've had it. I mean, obviously, Jeremy Howe's been a big success for them. I think, um, you know, obviously, Adam Trelaw has been well. really good. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of others. Oh, Travis Varka, you know, he's had his moments, but he's had yeah, sort of injury moments, issues yeah. as well. So and Elliot, every yep. time every time they've done that, uh, that's at the expense of, you know, picking up a decent young player at the draft. And it's not like they don't have decent young players, but there's a whole, you know, you can rattle off seven or eight young players who have all played similar numbers of games. They're all sort of in and out of the side. They're all up for a few weeks and then, 
their star sort of wanes and they're dropped again. And I'm talking there about, uh, you know, Tim Broomhead, uh, Tom Phillips. Yep. Um, oh, who else? I've just I've got a bit of a uh, – well, Degoe's a bit better than that. I think he's – Well, Trevor, he's a but Buddy Scharenberg. Yeah, pick, a high draft pick who's, you know, had a lot of injuries. But – yeah, there's probably. Um, oh, in fact, hang on. Bear with me. I've got the book in front of me. I'll, I'll rattle them off because it's about <laughs> no it's about half the list. Um, and some of those yeah. guys. And that's the, that's the worst thing about it too is that there are just so many players. Yeah, well, some you know some of those guys now have been on their list for four or five years. So uh, if you start at the top, okay, Tim Broomhead, um, Jack Crisp, another trading. He's been okay for them, um, but Ben Crocker. Been around a while now. Um, yep. Who else? Uh, Tom Langdon, uh, Braden yes. Maynard. He sort of started to come good. Yep. Adam Oxley. He hasn't played he, a game. He first played five years ago. Uh, Tom yeah, Phillips. Yeah, he's been around for ages. Jackson Ramsey, um, Sharon Berg, uh, Braden Sear. Don't think he's played yet, or he might have played one. Um, Josh Smith, another one. Josh Thomas, been out for two years, so that's a bit complicated. Uh, Rupert Wills, you know, like there's, there's so many blokes on that list who are around the same age who've played around the sort of 30-game mark and four or five years down the track, they're still virtually interchangeable with each other in terms of the yep. impact they have on that senior side. And ultimately, for me, that's got to come down to the coach. And, and it's like he can't sort of make up his own mind what he's going to go with and he can't sort of make up his own mind what sort of game style they want to play. Um, and it's funny because it's sort of, you had the impression of Bucks as a player as being quite decisive and single-minded, but it's almost like there's sort of too much goes on in his head and he tries to hedge his bets and keep his options open and all he's done really is sort of muddy the waters. So, you, you know, everything... When you look at Collingwood, it's nothing. Nothing's ever simple, you know. There's always buts, ifs, and buts all over the place. And but I just reckon at some stage you've got to draw a line there and go. Well, you know, the bottom line is we're just not getting the results. And um, if you'd have said at the end of 2011 when they're playing their second grand final, and you know, probably over the course of a season should have won two flags in a row, to be saying you know, six years down the track, we will have gone a fourth year without even a finals appearance. It's been a monumental yep. stuff-up of what should have been uh, one of the most successful eras in the club's history. Look, speaking of, you know, big mistakes and um, issues with list management, why don't we uh, have a little bit of a chat about Ty Vickery and the situation he finds himself in at Hawthorne? This is another instance of, you know, what's the saying? You... Um Something about your nose to spite your face? Cutting off your nose to spite your face? I thought you were going to say once bitten, twice shy, because, I mean, he's been proved to be short of the mark at one club. Now it's a two. <laughs> now, he uh, was suspended for striking, and then he comes back and he gets suspended again for striking in his comeback match. Uh, Hawthorne have not been happy at all with the way he has performed throughout the year. And Alistair Clarkson was on record oh, around about the midway point or just after... He said he's a forward and he's kicked two goals in six games, so we need a better return. And I believe that would have been around 
or maybe around 13, 12 or 13. He hasn't played senior football since. He spent the rest of his time in the VFL. He has had a massive amount of off-field issues, especially surrounding his restaurant business. And they have to be having an impact on the way that he is applying himself, not only at training, but on the ground and playing as well. So there's talk that, you know, Hawthorne might be trying to delist him and pay him out as well. So what do you make of that one as well? That one's just as bizarre as the main situation. Um, well, look, to be perfectly frank, I, I was a little bit surprised they pursued him. I think they were hoping that they could um, get someone to play that David Hale-type role uh, uh, as a sort of key forward slash second ruckman. Um, but David Hale had some real cred as a, an AFL player. And, um, you know, I think in a better environment, he a more successful environment than he had at North Melbourne. He was able to prove that. Now, Vickery, Vickery was sort of in and out enough, even at a club that wasn't performing that well. So I reckon there's some danger signs there. Um, yeah. He, you know, he's been... A, well, he certainly had a track record as well of not being consistent. Yeah, well, exactly. That's what, what I was going to say. I mean, he's been notoriously consistent even over, over his time at Richmond. So... Um, it, it just hasn't worked out. And I think the way the year's unfolded for them, uh, he's a bit of a, the word I'm probably looking for is an anachronism, you know, meaning he's he's sort of yesterday's man. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think one, one of the happy accidents out of Hawthorne's year and starting as badly as they did and then having injuries to senior players was, it sort of forced them to push a lot of these younger players into the side. And... Um, and almost all of them have have shown that they've got something. So you've had, you know, guys like, um, well, Burton, you know, runner-up in the Rising Star. Brand, I think, has been good for them in defence. Daniel Howe on the ball. But even up forward, they've sort of, they've changed the mix of their forward line. And it's worked well enough for them to be able, they haven't scored that much, funnily enough, but... They've been competitive enough on the scoring front to be able to play Jack Gunston largely in defence. So, if a guy like as good as Gunston can be yeah. can be used in defence, it sort of suggests that you probably don't need to be picking a Ty Vickery to keep your forward line afloat. Yeah. So, we, you and know, he's in, even pinching in the ruck as well. Yeah, well, you know, McAvoy had a, a fantastic season, basically taking that role on his own. Plus, you've got Ruffhead who can do it. Plus, you've got you know Tim O'Brien or someone like that who can do it, and I think and that next, role next year they'll also have um, Seglers to come back as well, won't they? Say it again, sorry. Sorry, I'm just saying next year they'll have Seglers to come back, and as well as um, Sil Rioli. Yeah, well, exactly. No, no, really good point. Yeah, Segler was good for him when he was playing, and and yeah, you've got a score of other injured players as well in defence: yeah. uh, Stratton, Birchall, um, and Frawley. So, you know, that liberates Gunston to go back to the forward line, so he's even less required. So it's almost in the space of one season. um, The game and the structure of the Hawthorne side has changed so dramatically that the player they thought they needed at the start of the year, they really don't need now. So, you know, look, you win some, you lose some. Um, Hawthorne, virtually everyone Hawthorne um, recruited from another club has ended up being great value for him. So, um, you know, one hasn't worked out. I think he cut him a bit of slack on that. But basically, I reckon that's curtains for him. Yeah. And Stephen, what do you think, mate? Yeah, I mean, if I'm Hawthorne's list manager, I have to 
especially basically exactly what Rowan said. Um, if you've got that structure where even with those injuries, you don't need Ty Vickery playing in the seniors, then it's just a waste of money having him on your list and you probably should get him out pretty much any way you can. Um, even if you have to yeah. pay him out, it might be, it will look like egg on your face, but the egg's already there. Um, so you might as well try and wipe it off to follow that. And you just got to wonder who would actually trade for him as well. Well, yeah, you and have to deal with him. At all, what currency he has. But well, he still for. has, I think, another two seasons. Mm. It'll be a lot of money to spend, but you're spending, playing, spending it playing him in the VFL, so not much point, is there? No, if I was another club, I wouldn't be uh, spending a single cent picking up the rest of that contract. So no, no, he's 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 finished. Yeah, yeah, he might his AFL career may well be finished. Full stop. So uh, this, that's just going to be very interesting how that plays one out. One last one last kind of discussion point. Does this kind of come as a bit of a, a lesson for AFL list managers not to kind of you know jump at the. Uh, nearest uh, free agent contract, even if it fills a list need. Because um, they, did, they didn't have Jared Ruffhead playing at the, at the time. They thought he would be out for a while with his uh, cancer. So at the time, you could kind of see why they'd recruit a tall forward. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I, I, I like I said before, I'd argue, I suppose, that if, you know, if Hawthorne can make a blue of this magnitude, anyone can, because I think their mm. due diligence on virtually everyone they've picked up has been second to none, and you know, no better example than Sean Burgoyne, who Great. Port Adelaide thought was as good as finished when they picked him up. So, um, yeah, look, it happens. They don't all work out, but, um, you know, uh, for one that hasn't worked out for them, there's been, you know, 19 that have. So, um, yeah, it's not... Recruiting isn't yeah. any, an exact science, and it, it never will be, really. That's for sure. Look, uh, let's move on to the next segment. We'll go through the finals matches that are coming up this weekend. And it kicks off on Thursday night where we've got the massive game between Adelaide Crows and the Giants. Now, Adelaide hold a pretty good head-to-head record. They've won four of the last five matches, including all the ones at Adelaide Oval. However, Rowan... They may be without Rory Sloan, who last week underwent surgery for a, uh, a pender, appendicitis. I can't remember what the actual medical term for it is, but he had uh, keyhole surgery. So his recovery won't be as long as three weeks that some people are suggesting, but he is going to be touch and go right up to the last minute before the match. You know, what do you make of that one? Uh, well, it's obviously pretty critical to the outcome. I, I mean, I think Eddie Betts got over his in... 13 days from memory. So, yeah, yep. um, you know, look, it'd, it'd be borderline, but I reckon, um, you know, not that I know much about appendix surgery, but, uh, you know, if it's keyhole <laughs> surgery, the uh, the scar isn't as big as a lot of other surgeries he could have. So I think if it's, yep. if it's at all possible that he plays, he plays. Now, having said that, I don't think um, if he misses... Uh, I don't think it's necessarily the fatal blow that some would think because I reckon as the season's gone on, they've learnt to spread the midfield load a lot better. I mean, there was that series of, um, I think it was about three games within four weeks where he basically got tagged out of it and Adelaide lost all of them. Yep. And there was one against uh, North, there was one against um, Geelong and uh, Melbourne. Melbourne was the other one when they lost to Melbourne at home. Um, now, since then, there's been 
there's been quite a few games where Sloan hasn't been that prominent and yet their midfield has still dominated. And that's had a lot to do with Matt Crouch, who's been fantastic all year, but Brad Crouch in the second half of the season, I think, has really gone up a cog. I think um, Rory Atkins has been really good. I think Richard Douglas has been really consistent for them. Plus, you've got the likes of you know Charlie Cameron going through there on occasion as well. Riley Knight, he's another one. You know, they've got they've got several players in the midfield who aren't necessarily high profile, but they really they really pull their weight. And I think as a midfield group, they've become a lot more effective the longer the year's gone. So, um, yeah, look, it's yep. it's massively important for them that he plays, but it's not necessarily the end of the road if he doesn't. I'm well. I'm I'm sticking with them. I, I've sort of been on their wagon a bit all year, really. I reckon. Having said that, I didn't even put them in my eight at the start of the season, which was a pretty <laughs> big mistake. But they won yep. me over pretty quickly. I just think they've got, by some margin, the best attack in the competition. I think their defence is really underrated um, and you know negates, but it also rebounds very well. And I think that the improvement of that midfield was probably the sort of final piece in the jigsaw puzzle. And they tick all the boxes for me. And, you know, there seems to be this sort of scepticism about are they hard enough, are they tough enough? But you look at all those key indicators, again, you know, clearances, contestable, and they rank really well for all of them. So they're a pretty complete combination. GWS, I think, um, if you're looking at, you know, a, a list in terms of talent, I think GWS are the number one team in the competition. But the key word there is team. And the, my doubt about them all year, and it hasn't gone away at any stage, has been, you know, do they play as well as a team as do the Crows or the Swans or perhaps even Richmond? And I think the answer there is no. You know, they seem to be a collection of really talented individual players who occasionally get it together yep. with a good team performance. But are just as likely not to hit the right note on any given day. Um, so, oh, it's very true, yeah. That makes, for me, the Crows a more reliable bet, and particularly at home. And as you say, they've got the runs on the board against them. I mean, look, they played them in round one, which strange things can happen in round one, but I just think they've got, <laughs> the, they've got the sort of structure and the sort of game plan that can really worry GWS. So uh, Crows for me on that one. Yep. And look, um, game plan is the one, maybe the one weakness that the Giants have in that they don't really have, I'd say, an established game plan on the very tight and tough uh, sorts of games. They were exposed by the Swans earlier in the year. Granted, they weren't in a great run of form, but they had an almost full fit side to pick from. Almost all their injuries were pretty much rookies from first and second year players. Now, Stephen, if you could give us your prediction for the match, please. Yeah, I think... um Adelaide have been the flag favourites most of the year, and playing Adelaide, I'm going to tip them. Um, I think in terms of list depth, they're one of the best in the comp at that. Everyone can uh, be trusted to come in and uh, play their part. I mean, if you look at guys who aren't playing for Adelaide, um, last week, uh, Taylor Walker wasn't there, Daniel Talley wasn't there, Greenwood wasn't there, and they'll all come straight in. Um, So that pushes out guys like Wayne Miller. Uh, They've got Kirtley Hampton. Uh, who they recruited from GWS? He hasn't been playing for he hasn't been playing for half a year, and you wouldn't have noticed. Um, yeah, I know. And Paul Seisman hasn't played that many games this year as well. So, look, if GWS bring their A game, which they can, but they haven't really done that much this yep. year, they might scrape a win. But otherwise, I'll tip Adelaide. 
Yeah. No, that's all fair points. And look, I uh, might have had a bit of a wager on a multi last week on this match. <laughs> and now I think that Adelaide's fortunes hinge on... Well, they hinge on Sloan being available. And the reason why they hinge on him being available is because he is going to take that tag. Or at least they're going to try and uh, go head-to-head and try and nullify him. If you have someone like Crouch or Laird or Douglas, then attracting that tag or that attention, their output is going to significantly drop off, which is going to force the third or fourth you know, tier midfielder to try and come in. So I think that's where the Giants can really exploit them if Sloan doesn't play. So... Look, Crows should get it. I think Crows are good enough for three to four goals. However, if Sloan doesn't play, I reckon Giants by a goal. So that's my pick on that one. Now, on to the next one, which is the absolute biggest match that I can think of outside of a grand final and possibly Anzac Day. It is a sellout, and I would have loved to have got tickets to this one, but it just isn't possible. We are, of course, talking about the Cats and Tigers. Rowan, do you have your finger on the pulse of the Richmond faithful on this one? <laughs> Uh, well, no, there's too many of them to keep your finger on the pulse, really. But um, and oh, they haven't microwaved their memberships either. No, no. Look, they've they've had a great season, and uh, hats off to them. I think they've really got the absolute best out of what's at their disposal. Um, yeah, looks tough, tough one to pick. Uh, you know, I'm big on history, and the history is that Geelong really has their measure. I mean, they've won the last 13 straight meetings. Um, and eight of them have been at the MCG, so I think that's pretty significant as well. Yeah. But having said that, and look, Geelong did beat them down at the Cattery a few weeks back, and they didn't have they did that without yep. Hawkins and Duncan and Selwood. But Selwood, yes, um, you know it's a vastly different ground, so I don't know how much that means. Um, and Geelong, <clears throat> look, I you know there's no doubt they're a chance. Um, I've been a little bit sceptical about them this year. They just to me. Aside from Dangerfield and Selwood, they're, they're workmanlike and, and, you know, they get the job done, but they just – they they lack a certain spark, I think, you know, and they, and that's why they really need someone like Stephen Motlop to bob up and have a fantastic game for them. And if that happens, I'd be pretty confident that they'd win. But I think Richmond – I've probably underestimated Richmond's, uh, I guess, capacity for – skill um you know they're certainly very solid self-destruction oh well no i think and that's where i give them credit i think they've been incredibly competitive they've only been blown away twice um every other even their losses you know they've been by relatively narrow margins so they they give you a very steady output obviously dustin martin's the key to them i've got some doubts about the forward setup functioning under the heat of finals um, because there's only one sort of genuine key forward in Rewalt and they rely a lot on that forward pressure. So you've got to really trap the ball in there for them to generate enough of a score. And Geelong's quite good defensively, so I think that could be a bit of an issue. Um, yep. I just, look, push comes to shove. I think Geelong's probably the more talented team, but I wouldn't underestimate the role that Richmond's on, and I, I think that, you know, sort of emotional factor and that momentum could really be a plus for them rather than a, a potential handicap. So I'll give them every chance. I think it's probably going to be really close. Um, but I, I think ultimately I'd just go for the Cats. I think they're a, lit, a fractionally better side than the Tigers are. 
And Stephen, give us your prediction yeah. for that one, mate. Um, look, I think this is going to be, of the four games this week, this will be the coin flip one. Uh, really hard to pick a favourite out of this one. Uh, they're saying that now that uh, Joel Selwood is more likely than unlikely to return. Um, he's had He had uh, surgery, well, only about a month ago. Um, and now he's... Uh, looking likely to come back, so he'll be a massive inclusion. Yeah, is good, but yeah, Richmond—they just—they just have—they just, have, just seem like a team with so much more energy. And especially if you compare it to a team like Geelong, who have stumbled a bit at times this season, especially uh, later on. Look, if I—if you put a gun to my head, I'd probably tip Richmond. I—I I wouldn't be—I wouldn't be displeased at all if I'm wrong about that. <laughs> Look, I'm—I'm uh, I'm gonna go with Geelong for this one. Uh, regardless if Selwood plays or not. I, I agree completely with Rowan that Dustin Martin is key to Richmond's chances, and I think with the contract saga out of the way, there's probably going to be a lot of energy around the club, and especially for him personally. However, they don't really have a forward line. It's just Jack Rewalt. So I think Geelong, they have a very good defense. They're definitely good enough to shut him down then the only other option is to pretty much play Martin deep forward and then all you got to do is shut him down like the Swans did pretty much halfway through the second quarter when we played him earlier this year and they don't score. So if you can shut those two players down, they just don't score. So for me, I think I'm going to go Geelong by two goals on this one, uh, but it is going to be an absolute ripper and I am hoping that it's going to be about 99,000 because that would be an absolutely massive match. Now on to the last one, and this one is a pretty interesting one. It is Port Adelaide and West Coast. Now I'm skipping over the Sydney and Essendon one because we're going to talk about that one in a minute. But Port Adelaide haven't beaten a top eight team all season, except for the first round when they beat the Swans at the SCG. Now that's a little bit like, okay, footy logic, but then let's have a look at the head-to-head record. Port Adelaide beat West Coast when they play him at Subiaco. However, West Coast beat Port Adelaide when they play him at Adelaide Oval. So you've got like this really weird reverse form line of grounds, not to mention season form, and then Port Adelaide's inefficiencies against top eight teams this season. It's, um, I, I don't know. From, for me, I'm going to go for the Eagles for this one. Rowan, what do you think? Um, yeah, look, there's a few ifs and buts about this game. I mean, I, I think... I've got a bit of a sense that the Eagles have have got lucky. I mean, they got lucky first to get into the eight, but I, I also think they've done well to draw Port as their opponent um, for a number of reasons. Like you say, yep. Port you yep. know, have sort of come up short against the best sides, but their record at Adelaide Oval is also really good. Um, they've played there six times and they've won there five times, including earlier this season. So um, they play the ground well. Um, they seem to be playing, you know, as well as they've played all season. Um, so I certainly give them a chance. And again, I, I think this will probably be pretty close. Now, having said all that, I, I reckon, I reckon we might have been a bit harsh on Port over the course of the season. It's easy to look at that record against top eight sides and go, they're, they're yeah. just not good enough. But they've had a few near misses. I mean, they pushed Geelong to within a couple of points down at Geelong. Um, they were. You know, close enough against uh, Richmond. You know, lost to Richmond by a couple of goals. Um, there was another close one they lost. Oh, they had the first showdown. They only lost that by seventeen points. So, and Just I don't, think don't they're playing talk about the second showdown. 
No, that was that was a disaster. <laughs> but, but see, that's the thing about this year. Most sides have had at least one disaster like that. Um, and I think I think they're playing their most consistent footy and their best footy at the right end of the year. I mean, they were they were going win. They were sort of in this weird pattern of winning two and then losing two, winning two, losing two. But if you have a look at Port over the last uh, how many weeks? Eight weeks of the season, they've won six out of eight. They knocked over. Um, the Bulldogs, when the Bulldogs were still a finals chance, uh, you know, they beat St Kilda when St Kilda was still very much in the finals hunt, beat West Coast in Perth, like you mentioned, um, and, you know, they smashed Gold Coast. I don't know what you make of that, probably not a lot, but that second last game against the Bulldogs, uh, I, I watched that, that one was a good closely. Game, good and performance. I, yeah, I thought they played really well, and I thought... Um, you know, their midfield's pretty – I like the look of their midfield. I reckon Bokes had an up-and-down season, but he's come good at the right time. I think Wines yeah. has been incredibly steady for him. I think Ebert is a bit underrated. Um, you know, so they've got some good guns there midfield. Jared Pollock's sort of cream on the on the top, and yep. he's playing good footy. And up forward, Charlie Dixon, I reckon, has really looked quite ominous the last few weeks. So at home – yeah. Um, you know, I, I, as good as West Coast record is there, uh, it's a very brave tip to tip against the home side in the final. And I think I think Port's good enough. So I'll go for Port, but only narrowly. Yeah, um, can't really disagree with too much what you said there, Ryan. I'm tipping Port as well. Um, although I hope, part of me hopes that uh, West Coast's name, Willie Rioli, for a debut in finals. There's been a bit of talk that, that might happen. Um, and... Here we go. He's booted six goals in his past three waffle matches, uh, and that was with a couple of hamstring issues as well. So, you know, just as a bit of extra excitement for that for that uh, battle coming up, that might be just a little bit of icing for the neutral viewer. But yeah, I'm tipping Port for that one just because it's a home. Look, I might be getting I might be getting ahead of myself by uh, picking the Eagles, but uh, look, I'm very hopeful that they get over the top, uh, mostly because. That multi includes the Eagles, but anyway, moving <laughs> on. So um, <laughs> let's uh, let's round it off with uh, the game that matters for all of us. It is the Swans and the Bombers. So now, uh, Rowan, you might have to um, refresh my memory on this one. I believe the last time these two teams played, uh, Plugger might have sunk the Bombers. Ah, uh, yeah, he did, and uh, I was there, and. Uh... Still pains me to talk about it, to be perfectly honest. I was sitting in the um, in the press box, which in, was in the noble stand behind the goals, and I had a, a bird's eye view of it, and I had a story to file right on the siren, and uh, oh, no. it was pretty painful. It was pretty painful, although I, I did... I did take some comfort from the fact that they would have got absolutely smashed in the grand final against North Melbourne. They had, uh, yeah, they 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 weren't as good a side, and they lost about. Uh, they would have had about thirteen fit players going to that game because it was a pretty tough old game yep. that night. So, yeah, it's a long time yeah. ago, twenty one years ago. Um, this time, oh, look, yeah, there, there there are two ways of looking at that last game at the SCG and. Again, being a glass half full man, my uh, glass half empty man. Sorry, my take on it is that Essendon played, you know, twenty minutes of pretty scintillating footy in the last quarter, um, blew it at the end, and you know, Essendon people rightly will say, well, you know, look what we can do if we turn that on for any length of time, we're a really good chance, and that that's true, but. 
my take on that game was that the Swans really dominated the bulk of the game, probably yeah. three quarters of it, and probably should have been further in front. Um, I think that they've got easily the superior midfield. I think the Swans' midfield's in really good nick right now. You know, Kennedy, Parker, Hannabury, Jack's chipping in there as well. You know, they can run the likes of Papley through there. Um, forward line is on song. Um, you know, Buddy <laughs> kicks 10 last start. You know, it's pretty handy form going into a final series. Defence is teaming really well together. Um, you know, uh, Rampy has been outstanding. Um, I think, you know, McVeigh's played really good footy since he's come back into the mix. So it's all sort of falling into place for them. Essendon really... You know, as much as I say it's a good effort making the finals, I look at them over recent weeks. Really, I mentioned that St Kilda game early. That was round 17. They probably haven't really played anywhere near that level for the last six games. They had a scrappy win over North Melbourne. Um, They lost to the Bulldogs. They just got over the line against Carlton, outclassed against Adelaide you know, struggled for a fair bit against Gold Coast and struggled against Fremantle. So it's not outstanding form. Uh, Hooker's missed a couple of games now, so he might be short of a gallop. Hurley's missed a couple. Fantasia's going to be touch and go. And they're they're three. You know, you've got a key forward, a key defender, and probably your best small forward. So they're pretty pivotal parts of the mix. And... um, you know, Hooker and Hurley will definitely play. Hopefully, yep. Fantasia as well. But you've got to ask to what it, you know what sort of level yeah. they'll be at going in. So, I think. Well, the the word is still that Hooker is a test, and he, the club's hopeful that he'll play. But like the changes every day, there's something different. Like, well, maybe the bone bruising is too bad; he might not get up, or maybe he'll actually play. But yeah, Fantasia, he is the most unlikely of them all. There's yeah. no, no question about that. Uh, look, at all. my my gut feel is that they'll take the punt on all three of them. I don't think there's much to lose, really. But even with them in the mix, um, I can't see them doing it, to be honest. You know, It's not a ground that they play well. Uh, Swans are playing much better footy, and they're, they're a better side, to be perfectly honest about it. So Swans, for me, uh, not necessarily by heaps. You know, I think it'll be a typical final, pretty tough and contested and won't necessarily be high scoring, but I could see the Swans winning it by four to five goals. Well, the recent record, apart from their game in uh, round seven last year, is Mel- uh, Essendon have actually played the SCG reasonably well over the years. They've notched, you know, notched up a couple of victories here and there, but typically quite competitive. Uh, but again, like as you said, with the players coming back that are injured, that are being tested, it's going to be maybe a little bit too far for them. And, you know, Sydney as well, they have Hanabry and Papley, who are almost, you know, dead set to come strap back into the team. Then you've also got the uh, three Ruckman, uh, Naismith, Sinclair and Tippett, who, again, they're all likely to come back in. So Naismith, he played the reserves game and came through fine, no worries. Sinclair, he's pretty much guaranteed. And Tippett's, you know, the 50-50 so, again, there's injury problems on both sides of the fence, and it's just going to be interesting to see how they actually line up. Stephen, what do you think? Yeah, I reckon Swans should go in favourites. There's, you know, that bit of uh, round one to six is kind of rubbed off on my ear. I do kind of have a few nightmares with the upset. Um, 
but yeah, we should be we should be favourites. We deserve to be favourites. Hannah Breen Papley will slot straight back in. Um, guys, I'll be interested. I'll be interested to know um, if you had to pick two out of three between Naismith, Tippett, and Sinclair. Who would you go for? Um, oh, for me to be uh, Tippett and Sinclair. Um, that's you know no disrespect yep. to Naismith, Agreed. but. Uh, yeah. I think Tippett, you know, he cops a lot of flack, Tippett, but I think we all know what he's capable of. Um, and Sinclair's been pretty impressive most of the season from what I've seen. So they'd be my preferred too. Yeah. Oh, look, I think uh, if it's wet weather, which is what it's forecast to be, I go Sinclair and Tippett hands down. Tippett is superb in the wet, and which is, you know... Given his size and his height, you wouldn't think it, but every single wet game he's played, he's played like he's got glue on his hands. He is superb in wet and greasy conditions. And look, uh, if Hurley doesn't get up, hypotheticals, who do you think takes Buddy Franklin, Sam Reed, and let's say this, the other tall forward, which would be either Sinclair or Tippett Rowan? Um, I shudder to think, to be perfectly honest. Um, no, look, there's there's not a lot in reserve, so um, they're going to be stretched even if he does play. So, um, no, you got me. I, I really don't know. I mean, look, Pat, Patrick Ambrose will end up having to play on a taller opponent. Um, he might well end up on Buddy. Um, Hartley probably needs the more stationary target, so Hartley probably takes Tippett when he's playing up forward. Yep. Um, beyond that, uh, who else were we talking about? Did you mention Sam Reid? Um, yes, Sam Reid uh, or Sinclair and Tippett? Yeah, I, I, I just look, they haven't got enough tall defenders to go around, and that's that's another big sort of ace up Sydney sleeve, and it could be a, that could be a really, um, actually a really sort of key part of how they go through the finals, because there, there actually aren't many sides with that many tall defenders anymore, because most forward lines aren't really set up like that. So um, it's a, it's an issue when sides play Adelaide and it's become an issue when they play the Swans because they're, they're not only tall, yep. they're mobile as well. So you can't pick yes, a big lumbering yes. back, backman to play on any of those guys. They, they, they can all cover territory. So you need someone who's mobile, but you also need someone who won't get outmarked. Um, so well, I think it's a major issue for them and I don't see how they're going to match up on them. And Sinclair, he's deceptively quick, uh, especially against the Saints. He burnt Carlisle on the lead a number of times and always found Carlisle trading, you know, trailing about two, three metres behind on the lead almost every single time. So, uh, Stephen, I'd like to hear your thoughts on potential matchups. Um, yeah, in terms of the midfield battle, I just look at the quality in the Eston midfield. You've got Heppel who would match up pretty well uh, on the inside, you'd think. Uh, Joe Watson, who's kind of at the end, um, not quite, not to kind of disrespect the man or anything he's done in the past, but he's a bit of a shadow of what he once was, I think, this year. Um, then guys like Parrish, uh, Zach Merritt will have to play out of his skin, I reckon, this week. Uh, I think we should, I mean, ideally, and, you know, in when all the statistics play true and all that, we should really monster them in the midfield. Um, and one kind of query I have, really, is how does Craig Bird not get a game? Um, I think one of uh, Essendon's problems has been lack of inside uh, contested yeah. play, and I think Craig Bird would have been a great 
uh, guy to have in there. I just would uh, like to know your thoughts on that, Ryan, quickly. Oh, it's a very good question. He's um, he's probably been one of the most consistent players at VFL level all year. And, uh, yeah. yeah, a lot of people have asked that question for most of this season. I, it's, it's just clearly something about his game that John Walsfold isn't a fan of. Look, he's got his limitations, and you guys, I'm sure, understand that. But you're right. Um, it's been a number of games Essendon have lost this year where one midfielder has really got off the chain and got high possessions and done damage. And several of them, I, I think people have thought, well, gee, someone like Craig Bird could have really done a decent lockdown job. So I guess the issue with the Sydney midfield is you can't really lock onto one particular player. I mean, if you lock onto a Josh Kennedy, well, you know, uh, Parker gets off the chain. If you lock onto a Hanabry, Hanabry, yeah, you know, Jack, I mean, you, you lock Lloyd, on, yeah, exactly. So um, Hewitt, yep. One one helps, um, but it doesn't really cover all bases. So I don't know. Maybe they're going to take the view that look, we play our own game. You know, we don't try and negate. We try and play to our strengths, you know, uh, we try and utilise Zach Merritt. And there's no doubt Zach Merritt's the key Essendon midfielder. Watson, you know, look, Watson, I think he's struggled most of the year, but his last few games have been a bit better. So they'll have some hope that he can turn on a big one. I think Parrish is overdue for a big game. He's sort of, I wouldn't say he's had the second year blues, but he hasn't sort of reached the same heights this year as he did last year. Someone like... um, be interesting to see how they use someone like Goddard, actually. Goddard's form in recent weeks has been really good. Um, so maybe they sort of try and make him more a key midfielder rather than just sort of sweeping across half-back and hopefully not taking the kick-ins from behinds. Um, <laughs> now, I remember the last time you were on, actually, we talked about that. So you were on right after that match. Yeah, I was. I was. Um, oh, look, I mean, you know, uh, it's yeah, it's easy to focus on one error, <laughs> albeit one that cost you a game. But um, yeah, look, I, I think um, given that they can't really lock down on all those Sydney midfielders, I think you know it's it's quite it's quite possible they'll take the view. Look, let's just um, you know let's just fight fire with fire and throw all our big guns in there. So you know, Goddard can still play a role midfield. Um, they've tended to. You know, try and have him setting up across half back, but you know, uh, maybe maybe they change tack and just sort of throw all the guns in where the action is and and see what happens. But I, I really do think there's a. I, I mean, you hesitate to say nothing to lose because it's silly. Once you get to finals, there's everything to lose. But I think that they'll be they'll play perhaps with a certain freedom that comes with not being widely expected to win. Um, yeah. So, you know, I think there'll be more pressure on Sydney to to get the result than there will Essendon. So, you know, maybe that'll make them less inhibited in how they play and they'll just try and attack. And they certainly play their best football when they attack rather than when they try and control the tempo, as it were. So I think that's probably their best opportunity. I think the one area that the Bombers can exploit the Swans is in the forward line. Like you said before, the Swans have a very tall lineup, and it's very hard for defences to man up on. But you know, Essendon's a bit different. They have a bit of a mixed size. They've got a number of smalls. Um, they've got a good tall forward, um, Joe Danaher, who has been at times on fire this season. And when he's he's a bit Buddy Franklin like with it, when he loses his you know his aim, he sprays it everywhere except the goal. So. 
there's uh, there's a lot of variety there that I think Sydney might have a lot of difficulty matching up on because they're not the quickest. They're, most of their defenders are medium-sized defenders. Um, Rampy, uh, he's a medium-sized defender, but he takes centre-half forwards. Grundy's short for a uh, full-back. Then you've got Nick Smith. Uh, you've got Lloyd, McVeigh, Jones. Melican. Uh, Mills. What's that? I was just saying Melican, and then run, had Mills in there. Too. Melican, yeah. Malikin's 196, Mills is, I think, 188, 189, and he's only like 80-odd kilos. So it's quite a small defense compared to, I think, what Essendon could bring in a forward line. So that's where I'd see maybe Zaharakas pushing forward, Zach Merritt pushing forward, McKernan potentially having another impact, uh, McDonald, Tip and Woody playing out of almost out of the square or in the pocket, James Kelly, you know, he could go forward depending if they need it. Uh, so there's a lot of things they can do. Even Brendan Goddard could go forward if they desperately need to mix things up. The one you, the one you haven't mentioned there, and I mentioned him earlier, but I, I think this guy could actually get under the guard is Stewart. Um, probably mm. played his best game for the club yep. in that last game against Fremantle. He's tall, but he d- he doesn't necessarily play as a key forward. Uh, he's very mobile, yep. and he actually gets quite a high percentage of his goals from general play and at ground level. So, you know, he's a difficult guy to match up because um, they can try and match him for mobility. And like you say, they've got no shortage of guys that can do that. But if they do try and exploit a hide advantage that he has and get him at least on the lead, uh, the lead and mark, yep. you know, he has the potential to do some damage. So, yeah, look, it's a valid, it's a valid concern. But like so many of these discussions, and particularly in finals, you know, I reckon eight times out of ten in a final, the midfield battle probably decides who wins the game. And yep. if you get enough supply down there to your end, and you prevent the opposition supply going down your defensive end, you're three quarters of the way towards winning. Oh, it's a it's a very true point, and yeah, it's definitely going to be one in the midfield for the two teams. And if you're looking at the team sheet side by side, you look at Sydney's team, and you just think there's, you know, there's twelve players literally who could run through the midfield and do a pretty good job. Um, but you look at Papley, who's a small forward; he could pretty much play as a midfielder, just a small midfielder. Zach Jones, who's a back pocket, he could pretty much play just as a midfielder. McVeigh can still play as a midfielder, given though his age and his pace. Uh, Jack goes in. You've got a whole list of players that, that almost all of them can play midfield. Even uh, Buddy Franklin can play midfield if he, you know, really had to. So, yeah, it's. Uh, I think the depth is where the Swans are going to get Essendon in this match. Yep. No, I agree. I agree. Much as I hate agreeing, I agree. <laughs> all right, now Stephen. Could you give us your prediction for this match? Just uh, just the score will do, mate. All right. Uh, I reckon Swans by six goals. Ooh, that's a big one. Yeah. And Rowan? Uh, yeah, I'll go Sydney by 24 points. Yeah, and I am going to go Sydney by 44. Yeah, it could be close or it could not be close. <laughs> <laughs> Um. Uh, anything else uh, you guys would like to add to that? Uh, no, no. I think that just about covers <laughs> me off. <laughs> just one, one quick thing. Um, if you are going to the game, many listeners are playing head down to the SCG. Hang around afterwards because the Swans reserve will be playing in the Neafel Grand Final against uh, Brisbane Lions reserves, and that one should be an absolute corker. I think Brisbane Lions are the only team who have been the Swans reserves all Beaten year. Twice. So. <laughs> 
Ben's wise, there you go. Yeah, but beating them twice, yeah. That's at the, SC, that's at the SCG after the Essendon Sydney game, is it? Yeah, it is. Yes, it's straight after. So okay, the, so the, the AFL the finals, the curtain raiser to the NEFL grand final. That's yep. an interesting concept. Yep. <laughs> I've got to say, <laughs> actually, brilliant, to be honest. now you mention it, um, I have got to be in my bonnet about final scheduling and... Um, we haven't touched on the thing about the week off before the finals. I've actually ri- yeah. written another column about this today for uh, Sporting News, which is up online now. I'll be putting it up on Footyology tomorrow. But um, I, I just think it's one of the worst decisions the AFL's ever made, and yes. I think it got yeah. um, <clears throat> I think it got papered over a bit last year because the Bulldogs won a flag, and everyone said, "Gee, it's a great story," but. Unfortunately for the Swans, um, I'm worried that if the Swans are to win a flag from six this year, that uh, the same questions are going to be asked. And it's a real pity because I reckon in the history of the final eight, there's never been a team better equipped to win a flag from the bottom half of the eight, even under the old system than Sydney is this year. I reckon they're quite capable of having done it, even without a week off. And, um, you know, I'd, I'd love to see them do it and create that history. But unfortunately, uh, as long as this week off before the finals exists, you're going to have people asking that question. And it's not just about giving an advantage to those teams in the bottom half of the eight. It's about the penalty, effective penalty that is brought upon yes. the sides that finish top four and win the qualifying final. And, um Look, the Swans benefited a bit from it last year, I think, when they were able to jump Geelong in the first quarter of the preliminary final. Geelong had played one game in 27 days. Um, and, yep. it, I, look, I've been banging on about this, you know, since before last year's finals, and I feel like I've actually got a few people on my side now. It's pretty significant, mm. I thought, that Alistair Clarkson came out and had his yes, two definitely. bobs on it. So, yeah, you know, it's just ridiculous. And when you think about why they've done this, this was basically because Ross Lyon twice and North Melbourne once rested half a side with their finals position secure. And my thought on that is tough titties. You know, you're talking about one or two games a year out of nearly 200 home and away games. And so to fix up the perception of compromising integrity in those games, you're prepared to put at risk the integrity of the nine most important games of the year. It's absolute codswallop. And I think that uh, hopefully there'll be enough pressure being applied so that we see the end of it this year. But I really hope that if the Swans do end up winning a flag, that we don't have people continually asking that question. But you can't not ask that question if you have a situation where both qualifying final winners are eliminated in the preliminary final as happened last year. That had never happened before. In 17 years, that had never happened before. And it happened once, the first time it happened. So... That, to me, raises a very, very big red flag. And, you know, I really hope that we don't go that way again. Yeah, and look, I completely agree. And I did read your article and 100% agree with it. It's basically a disincentive to to finish um, in the top four. I'm not sure, was it yourself or Alistair who said that teams from now on will target basically finishing fifth through to eighth instead of the top four. No, that was him. <laughs> you know, so that was him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if if someone like me says it, well, fair enough. It's just an opinion. If if you've got the most respected coach in the business saying that, I think everyone should take notice. And people were saying that last year as well. So it's 
it, it, it beggared belief that they actually went through with this when all they could have done to solve the situation was just punish the clubs. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. And um, look, the only reason I reckon it survived uh, again into a second year was because um, the Bulldogs won the flag and there were enough people who I think naively yep. said, oh, gee, but wasn't it a great story? Well, yeah, okay, it was a great story. But if you're good enough, you you win the four finals without that break before. And and the other yes. the other element with the Bulldogs, of course, was that that week off enabled them to get four key players back who wouldn't have played otherwise. So it's it's actually basically their best four out. Yeah, well, yeah. So it's quite possible that they wouldn't have got past week one. And you know, if you're devaluing the uh, advantage that the top four get, wh- why do you even bother having a 22 round season? What are you working towards if the advantage you get yeah. is so minimal? that you can actually seriously contend that you're better off finishing fifth to eighth. It just it makes a mockery of the whole season, in my view. And, look, the AFL's got a bit of a history of knee-jerk reactions and of incessant tinkering, <laughs> but I can't think of anything they've tinkered with that as is fundamental to the integrity of, of the Premiership each season as this one. It's an absolute turkey of a rule change. You know, in all my time yeah, is. covering AFL footy and following AFL footy, that is the single worst uh, legislative change they've made, and I'm. If you, in case you can't tell already, I'm absolutely filthy about it. <laughs> yeah. Gee, it's starting to sound like, to sound like a Swans fan with the, the complaining about the AFL changing the rules. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I mean, they've done it on a variety of fronts, but you know, even things like you know the laws of the game and the match review panel and the arbitrary trade mm. ban on the Swans, you know, they're, they're, they're all pretty ordinary, yep. but I can't think of anything that stood to have as profound effect on who ended up winning the Premiership as this as this week off before the finals does. Absolute shocker. Mm. Yeah, it, for me, it's almost uh, as bad as Abbott's captain's call when he was handing out knighthoods a couple of years back. Uh, well, don't you better Just... not venture into politics. You're opening up a, a big Pandora's <laughs> box there. I get into enough trouble on social media for my political oh, views. I had a, I had a bit of a chuckle when you uh, had a bit of a dig at Bolt today, but uh, I think we'll leave it at that for uh, the political side of things. <laughs> well, safe, safe to say, I am happy to say that uh, when you've got Andrew Bolt suggesting that Tony Abbott is the Liberal Party's only hope, well, it's sort of the blind leading the blind there, really, because I, I can't yes, I can't think of a more it really is. I can't think of a more inaccurate <laughs> political prognostication anyone's made in the last twelve months. Yeah. Well, that's Andrew Bolt for you. He's good like that. <laughs> and uh, now, Stephen, uh, did you want to uh, put in any thoughts about the uh, the bye week? Because I agree with Rowan. It is uh, it's shocking, and you know I'm having footy withdrawals, and I don't know what to do with myself. Yeah, I mean, it was great to watch the uh, women's state of origin and the AJ winning game. It was a little. It was good to tide me over, but look, I want finals. <laughs> And yeah. when I, I was I was saying this last year on a few of the footy forums, um, when I just got kind of blasted as a salty Swans fan, but it, you can't deny that the Bulldogs had a massive advantage with that extra week off, um, go, going from seventh to win the flag, uh, and now we appear to be doing the same. I wonder if um, the the outrage will come now if the Swans happen to go deep into September. Oh, unquestionably, uh, you know, you basically know if um, if Sydney wins the premiership, it ain't going to be the Cinderella fairy tale story. It's going to be the 
let's cut this as fast as we can because it just ain't working no more (laughs) now uh, (laughs) just before we uh, wrap up Rowan uh, I just want to ask you one quick question now there is one particular Essendon player who I don't know he seems to be attracting a bit of attention in the greater AFL uh, community, I suppose, uh, for his contract issues. Now, I'm speaking of Connor McKenna, and he is, you know, he's a decent young player. Um, what do you uh, think about him maybe playing in uh, red and white next season? Um, oh, I'd, I'd be surprised if that happened, to be perfectly honest. I think, um, <laughs> no, that'd be very loath to let him go he's been a he's been a real find and he's the rate at which his games developed has been quite stunning um even last year he has been very good you saw glimpses of it last year but i think his decision making at times was a bit dodgy but i think he's really taken that to another level and he's got incredible pace um and he's actually skill wise you know he's actually a lovely kick as a lot of those irish players are actually so um, no, he's. A, I think he's a really important player to them, and yeah, I'd, I'd be very surprised if he played anywhere else. Now he he is currently um, out of contract, so and there is a little bit of whisper that he might be playing the field. Uh, do you think he is, or do you think it's just another case of players' contracts just taking too long to go? But they were, you know, pretty keen to stay where they are. Oh, a bit like Martin. You're probably asking the wrong person. I, I'm about as cynical as they get about the whole contract manager negotiation business. I think uh, player managers love pumping these stories up for all they're worth. I think often contracts don't get done because clubs have got other priorities. You know, it's not always some sort of sinister reason lurking behind them not being done. And, um, you know, I mean, with all due respect to Connor, who's going to be a really good player, it's not like it's Michael Hurley or Joe Danaher. So there's, you know, there's other priorities. And I think management, the longer they string out a negotiation, the better it ends up for them. Dustin Martin's a perfect ex- example. The media spent 12 months and expended God knows how many million words speculating about where he would go. And in the end, he <laughs> stayed exactly where he was, but uh, for about, what, 500000 a year more. So, um, yeah, look, I... I don't buy into a lot of that. I mean, look, he, you know, it's, I guess what you're saying is possible, but I, I'd be surprised that someone who's just establishing himself would uh, sort of put that at risk by, you know, upping and moving to another club and immediately putting himself under more pressure. So um, I think it'd be a bad move for him. And I say that all club allegiances aside, I think, uh, I think he really needs to, you know, sort of forge a career at one club before he starts thinking about a second one. Oh, absolutely. He wouldn't be the first person to do that anyway. And Stephen, what do you think of the Conor McKenna situation? Yeah, to be honest, I've only heard very soft whisperings about this one. It might be because it's not quite as high profile as some of the other players being mentioned. But um, look, if he was available at the Swans, um, I reckon we'd get him uh, a lot cheaper than what he could potentially uh, get to. So if I were the Swans, I'd end he was uh, playing the field. I definitely have a chat with him. Um, but yeah, I, I, again, I would be surprised if he left, but um, I think someone of his pace and class with the uh, ball on foot would be something that would be very great for the Swans. 
Absolutely. Look, uh, we'll wrap up the episode now. And Rowan, thank you so much for coming back on again. It's been a pleasure having you on. No, thanks for having me, guys. And uh, look, I wish I could say good luck for Saturday night, but in all honesty, I can't. So uh, <laughs> may the better Black side luck. win. And uh, if it's the Swans, yep. good luck for the rest of the finals. Oh, thanks. Appreciate that. And uh, look, all we can hope for is a very good contest. And Stephen, thank you for coming on as well. Yeah, thanks, Justin. It's been a pleasure having both of you on. And remember, guys, you can always follow us on social media using the tag The Swans Blog, and we are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can always get in contact with us through the week using the hashtag SwansCast on all three platforms, and you can also talk to us on our website and email. We will be back next week with another episode, regardless of win or draw or lose, so stay tuned for the next one. It's going to be a great one. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening. Until next time, go Swans! Nice one.